Let's now turn back to John's Gospel for our study this morning. John's Gospel, chapter 10. John, chapter 10. Psychologists tell us one of the strongest instincts in man is that of self-preservation. You'll do anything to save your physical life. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> A lot of their reasonings are from logic and uh, others are from their own minds and imaginations. It's a pretty wild. Uh, that is a psychologist. But wherever people are found on the face of the earth, they often feel insecure. Talk to any reasonable person and he will share with you his concern for personal, social and even for national security. We like to feel secure. And you think of families, children need that security in the family. And if there's insecurity between mum and dad, if it's not for sure, then it throws a whole spanner in the works from early days. Indeed, much of our time and a lot of money is spent on ensuring ourselves against poverty, sickness and death. And I did a little exercise of adding things up that you might, and I have some of them too. <laughs> but you think of insurance, life insurance. And they throw that in with a super fund often. Hidden in the costs there is up to $1,000 a year if you're getting old. I thought, oh, I'll try to get a life insurance. So I phoned an insurance company up and they asked me the first question, how old are you? <laughs> What does that have to do with it? I'm insuring my life. <laughs> I had a lot to do with it, especially the price. <laughs> and uh, I will leave that one. <laughs> and that can be $1,000 a year <clears throat> or more. House insurance, 1100 Really, super is insurance, isn't it, when you get older? And then it can be up, you know, if you earn an 80000 that's 88000 a year. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, <clears throat> car insurances when you throw third party property damage and all the things that you throw in there if you've got two cars that's about $1,400 um, funeral insurance they try to flog that don't they trying to sell that giving people uh, the you know insure yourself so your children don't have to pay the funeral um, hopefully you've got enough saved up that you don't have to health insurance if you thought of ditching that lately it keeps going up, up every year by percentage, way above the CPI. When you add all these up, I've come up with $15,200 a, a year insuring ourselves. And, and there's all the other things. You can, you, know, you can throw in uh, loan insurance if you've got a loan, or this insurance and that insurance. People are insecure when you look at that. They haven't or don't recognise the sovereignty of God working, as Tony talked about it in the adult class, in our lives today. There is another dimension of security to which many people give little or no attention whatever. It's that of eternal security or spiritual security. The Bible speaks again and again on this throughout the progressive revelation of Scripture. 
Paul could say in 2 Timothy 1.12, For which cause I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has promised. He's given us life, assurance and insurance and whatever else you want to throw in there. And Paul was completely convinced that this was so in his life. The greatest statement on the subject of assurance and security is given by our Lord in the reading we read from this morning or later on in the verses. We didn't read the whole chapter, but in that chapter, in verses 27 and 28, we read some of the greatest words of assurance that are given to humanity, those who want to believe, those who trust the Lord. It reads in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. (laughs) Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all. I mean, insurance companies, they go broke at times, don't they? And in the coming time of tribulation, they'll all go broke quickly. I'd say within a year there'd be no assurance, insurance for anyone because everything will go haywire. Natural catastrophes and things that God brings will cause the world to be in turmoil. I mean, what, can you insurance, insure every city of the world that's going to fall flat in the earthquakes that happen? That's what the Bible says. No, there's not, 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 not enough money to cover that in the insurance pond or, or, or pool of money. But the Lord... He gave, he's greater than all. He knows all. He's going to bring this to pass. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the complete assurance that we have from the Scriptures today. The security of new life in Christ. I pray that this will be a blessing to the saints today and and something we can look forward to. And though this life and through this life there are many insecurities we have. And sometimes we wonder and sometimes we fret and sometimes we don't have faith. I pray, Lord, that we'd increase, you would increase our faith. We would increase that, Lord, by believing on the word of God and how you met, met the needs of the saints in the ages past. You'll do it today again for the saints at the present. Bless the word to us now for your glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we come now to the security of salvation we looked at a lot of things or security of new life we've looked at new life the start of new life the sense of new life Um, and we looked this morning at the security of new life the security of new life is a divine relationship in verse 28 we read there i give unto my sheep eternal life eternal life is described in this passage as a personal relationship I give unto my sheep. (laughs) Are you one of his sheep? Are you feeding in his pasture? Are you in the word of God? As As Brother Tony taught us this morning in the adult class, look to the word of God. See how he has dealt in times past in the providences of God, in the lives of people, and you get the assurance now. And he, you see how he dealt with his sheep in times past. 
Christ came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly, it tells us in verse 10 of this chapter. If you'd like to turn to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, this life that he has given us, this more abundant life that he's given us, we can have the assurance of, as we read verse 11 of chapter 5 of 1 John, and this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath what? Life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. He might be living in a mortal body down here, but he hasn't life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Oh, John wrote these things later in life to say you can have complete and utter assurance of life that believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him. Yeah, the, the bank of heaven will never go bankrupt, will it? You, and lay up treasures in heaven. John, and Matthew's gospel tells us to do that. Where neither moth nor rust nor thieves break through and steal where the, some CEO business fella doesn't run off with all the money. God's not going to do that. He's given us that assurance. And if you know that he heareth us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. This is the confidence. Do you this morning have the confidence in God? I pray that you do. Absolute confidence. There's no shadow of doubt. You're willing to die for what you believe in. Because if you die, you know you're in a better place and don't have to face this world anymore. <laughs> As I said, I think on prayer, prayer meeting night, it's, it's uh, easier to die for the Lord than to live for him. Because to live for him, you're facing self, sin and Satan every day of your life. The world, the flesh and the devil that is constantly combating you and trying to drag us down. But when you die, you're there in his presence, absent from the body and present with the Lord. We have that confidence. I pray that you do. A personal relationship. My sheep, are you one of his sheep? I'm, I'm going to do something I don't usually do. Read a little article here from Pastor Buddy, Buddy Smith up there in, in the tablelands of Queensland. And he, he re, recalls a story that was told by James Crumpton 51 years ago that he heard. <laughs> When I came out of seminary, and this is James Crompton saying this, when I came out of seminary, seminary, <laughs> it might be a good, a good word to use. That was a mistake. Seminary, with a degree in higher criticism and was newly ordained as a bishop of a wealthy parish in Boston, I often met for dinner with Bob, and he didn't give the second name here. <laughs> Maybe he's still alive. <laughs> One of my former classmates. We, we both graduated from a very modern seminary, not evangelical at all. We scoffed at Bible thumpers and their beliefs. Our professors had laboured to explain away all the miracles in the Bible, and we soon came to agree with them. Creation? We despised Moses and loved Darwin. The Ten Commandments? This is a guy that... These guys have graduated from seminary. These are guys going out to preach. These are guys in the, in the pulpit already. Uh, the Ten Commandments, we laughed along when the old professor mocked the outdated rules and regulations of narrow-minded Jews. The cross, we were more inclined to admire Judas than Jesus. 
the resurrection, our professors all agreed that Jesus had only swooned, then revived in the cool dark darkness of the tomb, pushed the stone aside, wandered off in, in, as a disillusioned false prophet, probably to Mary, and was never heard of again. This, this is what they were taught to train them to go out and preach. <laughs> and this is 51 years ago and more. We wonder why the church is in the state it is in the world and, and, and why things are so bad and why, why uh, religious leaders today stand up for gay marriage and that. And this is what they're being taught. Our congregations, he said, had no difficulty swallowing our infidelity as long as we turned a blind eye to their cocktail parties and worldly amusements. Sounds like a social club, and that's all that it was. One, and Brother Dunn was having a go, and I thought, it goes with the message with these liberal theologians even in the Lord's table this morning. One evening when we'd finished our dinner, I told Bob the following story. So here's Mr. Crumpton and Bob, his mate, graduate, graduated together, talking. Listen to this, Bob. Tell me what you think when I finished. Bob nodded his head as he leaned back with his glass of wine and a f fine cigar. One night last week I told him I was just retiring to bed when I heard a knock at my front door. I thought I was hearing things since the tapping was very faint, but it came again, louder and longer. I went down, unlocked the door and opened it to find a little uh, ragamuffin girl standing there with tears in her eyes. She looked up at me and asked, Please, sir, are you the reverend? When I replied, she quickly asked, Will you come and get my mother in? I was a bit unsure how to answer. After a moment, I said, Is your mother not able to walk? Can she not get into the house in her own strength? To which she replied, Oh, no, she's in bed. But she sent me to ask you if you'll come and get her into heaven. She's dying. And here the girl fell to the floor, weeping and sobbing out the words, My mother is afraid of dying, and she has no one to get her into heaven. Won't you please come and get her in? So I went and wandered the streets until we came to the slums, and then down an alleyway cluttered with rubbish. She led me up the sta back stairs of a set of flats, hurrying me along and saying to me, Please, sir, hurry. You've got to get my mother in before she dies. My, mother, my guide pushed open the door and led me by the hand to her mother's bedside. It was obvious that the mother had not long to live. The smell of death was about the place. She raised her dim eyes to mine and whispered, I need you to get me in. Bob leaned forward to ask, What did you do? What did you tell her? Asked uh, Mr. Clumpton's friend. I asked if she was baptised as a baby and if she was, com if she was confirmed. And, and did she take communion? She had done all these things, but none of them brought her any assurance that her sins were forgiven. So I asked her what charitable deed she had done, and she shook her head and repeated that nothing she had done for people had ever brought any peace or, peace or assurance. I confess, Bob, I was out of my depth. I tried telling her that she had... Did she, had she kept the Ten Commandments, but she told me she had broken them all and there was no comfort there. I quoted the Beatitudes to her and she told me she had tried and failed and then she asked me a question that really set me back on my heels. She said, has God not made a way for sinners to get into heaven? I need you to get me in. 
I was at the moment, it was at that moment I realized that all my skepticism and all my rationalism, all my reasonings were totally useless. All the Darwin, Bayer, Schellmacher, whatever the Strauss ever said or wrote, never got anybody into heaven. Bob's face showed intense concentration as he asked, Well, what did you say to her? Bob, do you remember what our families believed about being saved? Do you remember how they taught us about the fall of man and about God's law showing us our awful sinfulness and that we deserve eternal punishment in the lake of fire forever? Do you remember how they told us of God's love and him sending his son Jesus Christ to die in our place for our sins and how he rose again the third day? Do you remember the verses that says the verse that says he bore our sins in his own body on the tree? Do you remember hearing these things? My folks called it the gospel. They told us that we must repent of our sins and believe the gospel. So that's what I told her. I quoted her John 3.16 and told her the gospel. So did you get her in? Yes, I got her in. She listened to every word and then closed her eyes. I saw her lips moving in prayer. And when she finished praying, she looked up at me with peace and said, Thank you for getting me in. I can die in peace now. And Bob, while I was getting her in, I got myself in too. <laughs> I think that's a good story and worth reading, <laughs> spending the time. It's so simple. Do, are you one of his sheep? Have you that personal relationship? Secondly, a permanent relationship. <clears throat> they shall never perish. I will give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Two truths in this statement. The first concerns the word eternal. And this term denotes not only a quality but a quantity of life. Quality, it's eternal. It's part of the very nature of God. Second Peter 1 Peter 1.4 reads, By which are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. That's quality. Isn't that quality? Partakers of the divine nature become more like the Lord and think like he thinks. That's quality of life. Have you got that quality of life? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You get a new lease on life, a new look at life, a new way of looking at it. So it's not only quality, but quantity of life. There was a father explaining to his young son, who had just got saved, how long eternity is. <laughs> well, count the leaves on a tree. Well, that'd be pretty hard, not impossible. Well, then go and count the sands, uh, grains of sands on the seashores of the world. Now, that sounds pretty hard. But with modern methods, you might be able to do it if you take up a square inch of sand or whatever, square metre of sand to count all the grains, spend the time doing it. You might come up with a number. Count the stars of the heaven. This is the quantity of eternal life. Never ending. You can't get to the bottom of it. 
You multiply all those by one billion, the grains of sand, and you still can't get to how long eternity is. Yet people hear about the gospel and reject the gospel. Isn't it utter foolishness to reject that message of this quality of being, having the presence of God in our life and living like he pleases and the quantity of it, eternity? How do these things become ours? Well, just go back in John's Gospel, chapter 3. And verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal Believe on him. Verse 36 of chapter 3, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life and shall not come, oh, shall not see, let me go back. Believeth on the Son, hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. <laughs> Yours is the choice. These are the options. Life eternal or eternal death. And we are all walk, walking as unsaved people prior to being saved under condemnation, walking out into eternity in the lake of fire. So we see there... The security of new life is a divine relationship with the God of eternity. My sheep hear my voice. Eternal life never perish. The security of new life, secondly, is a divine reliability. Verse 27, this is back in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 27, that we read, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Divine reliability. Jesus teaches us, in these words, that the reliability of eternal security is contingent upon, first of all, the authority of the word of the one who gave it. My sheep hear my voice. Did you hear the voice of God? Have you heard the voice of God? Was it audible? No, it was from the word of God, wasn't it? As you read it, the Spirit made that to be understood, convicted you of your sin and your need to believe and repent unto the Lord of your condition. And you and I are saved. The authority of the word. Whenever the Savior uttered words, the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders, the lay people, the common people, said he speaks with authority. He says it like he means it. We hear these other guys and they waffle on. <laughs> but you hear Jesus speaking, he speaks as a word of authority. Hey, folks, if you're saved and you're one of the sheep, you can speak with authority. You don't have to be a university professor. I've noticed people that have the confidence in God, that know they're his sheep, and they can go and talk, they can face a politician in the eye and tell him that he's a sinner and needs to get saved. They can tell a, a, a well-educated doctor, a, a, a psychologist, a, a whoever, they can go, this is what the word says. You can say that because you're basing your word on his word that is eternal, that's secure, that's forever, and it's for sure, isn't it? The word of the Lord, the authority of his word. My sheep, hear my voice. Have you heard the voice of the shepherd seeking you? Have you heard him calling? You know, it might be one of those, uh, the one that run away, the 99 sheep that stayed in, the one that run away. <laughs> we all run away from him. But he, you, you hear him calling you. 
You hear, hear him calling your name. Have you answered yes? Like Adam and Eve, when the Lord called them, where, where are you? You know, where are you? Where we're hiding? Why are you hiding from me? Because I'm a sinner, and I can't come into your presence. Your holiness, God's holiness. Let's read His word. Heaven and earth shall fade away, but my word shall not pass away. Shall never fade away. You know, when the Lord spoke, the wind obeyed his voice, the seas obeyed his voice, the unclean spirits come out of these wicked people possessed of them. The dead were raised when the voice of the Lord spoke. Lazarus, come forth. Little maid, arise. The authority of his word is so, so true as you read through the gospel accounts. And I love it when you read through the gospel accounts and you see the Lord facing the scribes and the solicitors and the barristers and all those sort of bigwigs back in that day and the Lord tied them up in knots in seconds. <laughs> and they had no answer. And he said, neither will I tell you. <laughs> you weren't deserving of an answer in the first place is what he said to them. You've, you've put aside my word for eternity your, as your forefathers did it. So do you and you are condemned. Hey, the authority of his word. Yes, we need to respect authority. We need to respect our parents' authority, their word. We need to respect the authority of those that God has put into positions in society. But we also need, most of all, to learn to hear the authoritative voice of God, don't we? When he speaks, we listen. We should listen. There's not only the authority, reliability and the authority of his voice, but the finality of his word. In Psalm 119, verse 89, we read, Forever, O Lord, is thy word settled in heaven. Forever it's settled in heaven. In 1 Peter 1, 25, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Matthew 24, 35, The heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. You know, I'd hate to hear that final word of God in the lives of people who have lived their life for themselves, for self, sin and Satan, when they get on to eternity and face the great white throne judgment and stand before Almighty God. What did you do with your life that I gave you? And then to hear the words, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. And I pray today that there's no one here in that position, but you're all his sheep. You have believed the gospel. Because that will be a terrible and most frightening day of, it, of your life and then for eternity to depart from me. Depart from me. Depart from the source of life. From the love of God that was so freely given. Depart. No more love. No more license. No more liberty. To be confined to hell forever. It's a terrible thought, isn't it? It's a frightening thought and this liberal theologians don't like to say it, won't say it because they deny that God could be their God in their mind is not the God of heaven. God has to deal with sin. God has to judge sin and he judged it in his son on the tree and if we reject that we have, we're lost for eternity. Last of all the security of new life is a divine reassurance in verses 28 and 29. Notice here there's two hands, huh. two hands, two sets of hands. 
I give unto them eternal life. They shall never, never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Whose hands are they? The Lord Jesus' hands. And then, verse 29, My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Jesus' hands and the Father's hands. You've got them. The Saviour's hands, first of all, of saving grace. These are the nail-pierced hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put thy hand here, you know. Look at, look at these wounds, Thomas. If you don't believe, look at the wounds. Look at the wounds, the wound in my side, my feet. Doubting Thomas, remember? He's still got those wounds. The nail-pierced hands of the Lord Jesus Christ are they which, as it were now, on the, are on the end of the arms that are stretched out wide as, and are saying, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden. And while we look, we see the hands that are pierced for our sin. And he's backing in us and, and calling us to come. The security of new life is a divine reassurance in these hands that are given that we cannot get out of his hands once he's got us in his hands. In a few references we read these, these words. Psalm 66 verse 8 and 9. Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who holdeth our soul in life and suffereth not our feet to be moved <laughs> security divine reassurance psalm 17 verse 5 hold up my goings in thy paths that my my footsteps slip not psalm 119 116 and 117 uphold me according to thy word that i may live and let me not be ashamed of my hope hold thou me up i shall be safe I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Psalm 139, verse 10, 7 and 10. These are words where his hands are, the Saviour's hands are holding us. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. <laughs> And thy right hand shall uphold me. You see, his hands are all through the scriptures, giving us the assurance that he is holding us. He's got the whole world in his. <laughs> is that a Christian song? I have to be careful what I quote. He's got the whole world in his. It's used by advertisers, isn't it? <laughs> but in the wrong sense. He, God, the Lord Jesus, has got the world in his hands. Nothing's going to happen. But by divine appointment, as Tony mentioned this morning, providential things happen. God allows things or causes things to happen. Let's recognize his providence, as was taught there in the morning service. And then the Father and his sovereign choice. <laughs> Verse 29, the Father who gave them to me, greater than all, no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. I and my Father are one. Here is a glorious fact. Long before the worlds were thrown into orbit and the universe was established by an act of the divine will and by the word of God, remember, <laughs> by the word, that powerful word of God, God in sovereign grace chose everyone who would respond to the gospel and he, knows who would, he knew who would respond and knows who would respond even today. 1 Peter 1, 2 tells us that, clearly so. He knew that you would respond and become one of his sheep and he could choose you. <laughs> because you, 
Ah, it's it's easy to see, but so many muddle the waters, muddy the waters in that. Um, <clears throat> he chooses everyone who would respond to the call of the shepherd's voice and put their trust in him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, the sovereign hands of God, <laughs> that which hold us secure. Now, I'm not telling you to go and cancel all your insurance policies. <laughs> That's up to you and your decision. <laughs> but I am saying this is the security you need in the Good Shepherd and His Father, in His hands. An evangelist led a boy to saving faith in Christ. He came from the slums of London. Time came for the boy to return to his difficult home and surroundings. To give the boy some reassurance, the evangelist read the verse from John 10 and explained something of the meaning of that safe hand of Jesus Christ. But, remarked the boy, supposing I slip through one of his fingers. <laughs> ah, that's impossible, said the evangelist. For when the Saviour laid hold of you, you became one of his fingers. <laughs> I like that thought. You're one of his fingers. You're one of his sheep. Are you? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus? Do you have that assurance? If you don't, speak to us afterward or trust him right now, better still, and believe on him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless the word to our hearts, this wonderful word of assurance from heaven above from the God of the universe who created us so. Thank you for these loving hands and arms that beckon us to come and believe. May each one be in the fold today, one of the sheep. Pray for the little ones next door, Lord, that's when the majority of people become Christians is in their young days. May they hear his voice. And respond to the loving shepherd. And may we as adults, Christians who are adults, encourage and lead them on the way into eternity. And Lord, may we hear your voice as Christians throughout our life, doing that which is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.